This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is presented in the temple. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Because the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The prophecy of Simeon. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. For I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to call many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul. The prophecy of Anna. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband had died when they'd been married for only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, and there the child grew healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favour was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, everybody. I'm just looking around. It's good to see you. It's the last Sunday in our Epiphany series. Thank you. Somebody said it. 
You know, I was thinking about that, and um, I'm straight onto a rabbit trail, Judy, here. Um, but thinking about Epiphany, so we've been looking at a series over the Sundays at the start of the year of encounters with Jesus, where it's um, the Father's delight to reveal Jesus to, um, to whether it was the Magi or it was the, the wedding feast or whatever, but these encounters with the King, where God reveals who Jesus is to those who, who were there. And um, the last one is today. We're being very Anglican. It's the presentation of Christ in the temple. And what an amazing encounter this is. But I want to ask you, before we do anything with this, because we can, I promise there's a, there's a sermon here, and it's, it's, I've written it as best I can. I've done my best. But how is this epiphany business working for you? Is it a, you know, is a series of familiar and beautiful scenes in the scriptures? Great. But at a heart level, I want to ask you how you're doing and how it's going, because it may be that actually there's a whole lot of great, good for them about these particular encounters. But the point of all this is, I think, to prepare us to encounter Jesus afresh for ourselves. And it may be that you and I look at something like today's reading, there's Simeon, there's Anna, Mary, Joseph, Jesus. You know, it really was only one day in Jesus' life, very particular time, very particular place. And this whole epiphany thing may feel very much about right time, right place, and someone else's story. Always someone else's story. Always someone else's encounter with Jesus. And there might be a sense of kind of if only for us. Or perhaps it's got a little bit harder than that, and we need... Jesus to be, you know, it's a funny metaphor that that Jesus would describe himself as a thief, stealing into people's lives, tying up the strong man who's been lying for years and taking, taking possession of what is his. Maybe we need him to be a thief and come and steal our hearts again for this to mean anything at all for us this morning. Otherwise, it's just Simeon and it's Anna And maybe you've heard it a hundred times, or maybe it's not a familiar story. It's beautiful. But I'd almost love to start with a ministry time for me and for you so that we can get to a place where we kind of think, yeah, this is great, and this is my story as well. Not literally what happened to them, but part of their story. I used to enjoy this probably dates me now, I don't know. You know, who do you think you are? It ran, really, for, for a long time, but I feel like it's finally fallen off the TV schedules. But you know the story I mean. You take a celebrity, look back and find, if, you've got, you know, if you can do a good job of the production, they'll go back into their story and find out who their forebears were. And the one that I remember particularly was um, Patsy Kensit, curiously. Not really seen her in much, but I just remember that they, um, the, it was an interesting example, the best one, I think, of who do you think you are, because they had so much to work with. Because Patsy Kendrick's immediate um, ancestors were proper East End gangsters. So they could really work with that. They could pop up photos of them with the craze and all the rest. Do you know what I mean? And so, but what was quite touching, actually, walking through the first half of the production, was that it wasn't 
There wasn't an awful lot of pride and joy for, um, for Patsy Kensett looking at those. She knew those stories. It wasn't much of a discovery, but of course it was great TV. So they really made a good deal out of that. And then um, what was interesting then was the second half when they delved further back, still in the East End, but they found gold from her point of view. Well, gold from TV point of view. Again, it was great production. But she, as a Christian, as, a, as a, someone of, of faith, as she described it for herself, discovered that she had in her ancestry this vicar of Bethnal Green. Now, vicar, so what? But this was, for her, so significant that there was somebody who wasn't to be celebrated for their gangster and criminal connections, but somebody who was ministering in one of the hardest bits of London, at one of the toughest times, pre-welfare, so the church was welfare. This is sort of early 19th century, I think, when the, the list of the people that they were feeding, supporting, the ministry of the church in concrete terms in that part of London then was extraordinary. And you just watched her transform as we were no longer talking about criminals and what makes you famous and where you've come from. And suddenly it's as though she found something that she could hold on to and say, look where I've come from. That makes sense to my heart in a way that all this other stuff that I already knew is actually, I'm not proud of that. Why would I be proud of that? For all the glamour that's attached to East End gangsters. And so it's just this lovely story of somebody recognizing and claiming something about where they're from and who they are. Why on earth am I telling that story? Well, because... The reason I want you to enjoy some time with Simeon and Anna today is that they are your forebears. Here are two people, whoever your great-grandparents were, whoever the people of faith may have been in your background, there may be none. You might be literally the first person in your family line to be stepping towards Jesus or have welcomed him into your heart. But these two our family to you. And I want you to be able, if that helps you to kind of think, oh yeah, you know, it's not me and any feelings of unworthiness I might have. I'm from, I'm from good stock, from people who really lived this faith, who really stewarded their hearts and their lives before God. And they got to see and they got to say for themselves, God is here. If that does anything to remove the sense of being unworthy or somehow outside of this right time, right place Christian story, which is really happening to other people, then that would be good. Have I prayed yet? Now would be a good time to pray then. Let's do that. Not because it's just the thing we should do, but let's pray in that light and then have a quick look at Simeon and Anna's faith. And it will ignite us. So come Holy Spirit, we want fire on the altar of our hearts. We want fire on our faith and the promises that you have spoken into our lives. Those core promises of, of being forgiven, of free and loved and worthy and, and called and purposed and chosen. called above all into life with you, into your love.
so that that can overflow into every part of life and into the world around us. Do you come by your spirit and help us to live out of that glorious hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the scripture says, Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not yet see. Amen. Come on, a little bit more penty. Amen. Thank you. On the front row. Okay, here's another scripture for you. You should record this and put it, if you were clever, on your phone for your alarm. It says, wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Romans 13, b not the whole verse, but that's a good scripture, right? Do you believe it? Come on, I'm feeding your faith here. Your heart says yes, even if the body's still wanting coffee. Okay, listen, here's another one. So I bet we could probably say, most people, if you're here and you've, you've said, yeah, I'm in, call me a Christian, I'm following Jesus. These are things that we'd say, yes, yes, theologically, yes. Here's the last one I wanted to read to you. Psalm 27, verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Thank you. Can you say that one? I mean, all of us have got to say yes and amen. It's Sunday morning. Of course I can say that one. But that one, I think, is the, the key one today. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, I can have a definition of faith that says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not yet see. Hebrews 11 verse 1. But it's not the same thing as saying, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You've got two beautiful encounters to help us with this. Two of God's particular friends are making a cameo appearance. Um, We could do the whole sermon just on the first verse of the reading, which is, they named him Jesus, and not get anywhere near the presentation in the temple. But we're going to go straight to the temple. Um, Mary and Joseph have made the offering for Jesus. They've redeemed him as firstborn, another sermon. And then we meet Simeon. So we're going to say hello to Simeon and find out a bit about him. Unless you've got the the advantage over me. I don't know anything about Simeon except what's written here. Does anyone else know more? I don't know if there is more. But all we've got really is what's written here. And it's, it's amazing the picture we get of this man. So we find that there was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So he's got his his hope framework, despite being in an occupied land as well. He's resilient, he's stewarding that, devoted. And it says also that the Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him into the temple. So we don't know a huge amount about Simeon in terms of the detail of his life, forebears, family, length of his beard, don't know. But these things matter. The first thing that matters, I want to point to two things. The first thing is about how he has positioned his heart and therefore his life in hope and faith. We meet someone who is alive in hope. 
And let's think about that for a moment. Our posture and our circumstances are constantly changing. Um, And uh, that can be uh, sort of metaphorically, you know, how we're postured in life. And also physically. I remember telling the story of Simeon in in an assembly. I got a volunteer. And um, I still know this lad. He's well on into secondary school now. But uh, he volunteered, wanted to be Simeon for a dramatic reading of the story. And um, so I said, come up, come up, come up. And he stood there. And I said, welcome Simeon. And everybody welcomed Simeon. And then the second phrase I said as he stood there was, uh, Simeon was old. Like this. And immediately, he's a real comic, this guy. He, he stooped like this and took hold of a, an, an invisible walking stick and began tottering around. I mean, you couldn't have paid him to do a better job, to be honest. In fact, I don't think anybody listened to the rest of the story because everybody was too busy watching Reuben staggering around as this ancient Simeon who, I don't know if he did know the story or not, but he played it so well. But so whether physically our posture changes, certainly our circumstances can change. Gradually, it can creep up on us, or dramatically, tragically, surprisingly, wonderfully. There are all these changes and moments and seasons in life. That's just inevitable. And our posture may well change over the course of the decades. I don't know. But the question for me, the question for us, is how we position ourselves towards God's faithfulness in all of that, in each one of those, good, bad. What I choose to believe about God is what's going to make the difference, whatever my posture and my circumstances. That's what I think Simeon, your forebear, has cracked He knows what he's hoping for. What are you hoping for? I know there's probably a quick and sort of jokey list of, you know, checks in the post, a good holiday. I don't know, but actually in that fundamental, the thing we find out about Simeon is not whether he's hoping that it's going to be a good stew tonight. There's all the life detail stuff. We haven't got a clue. We just know this fundamental position is that he believes that God is going to break in and do something. He's already decided ahead of seeing it for himself. If Simeon was here and you could catch him after coffee and a biscuit, um, sort of over coffee rather, after the service with a biscuit and so on, it might be tempting to go to him and just say, Simeon, I wish I had your faith. But I reckon as he brushed some crumbs out of his beard, he'd probably just smile at you and say, you can. You know, it's not hard. It's just a matter of what we choose. But it's easier for him. I doubt that. Not with the Romans marching around those streets. How is God going to bring about the change? What is it going to look like? There were so many conditions that were at war with his hope. Same for you, same for me. But I reckon he'd say, you can. You can. And we're told something else in the scripture, the second thing about Simeon. Not just that he's positioned in expectation, in hope, that God will do what he's promised. But there's the other part of faith and the other part of Simeon's faith that's not just a state of mind or a a, a kind of a belief here, um, an agreement and a trust in the head and, in, and with the heart, 
but it's also action. Action in the moment. In this partnership with the Holy Spirit, he lives a life with the Holy Spirit. He is nudged to go. And it's not just a matter of, of, his, of his hope and expectancy. There's a pursuit going on for him as well. Getting to the rendezvous. Going where the Spirit of God prompts him to go. So faith is believing in light of what God has promised and trusting that God is telling the truth. But it's also the action, isn't it, in light of that belief. It's showing up. Going to see what God is doing. It's a treasure hunt. We believe it's there. Let's go. Let's find it. And Simeon discovers what in the temple? I don't know if it's what he expected, but he finds this baby and takes Jesus in his arms. And he breathes out this prayer that's just beautiful, just saying, God, you can take me anytime you like now. I don't need anything else from you. You have given me what you promised. You have shown me. I have seen your salvation. What an extraordinary statement. And not just, it's not just a personal thing. This is something you've prepared for all people. Here is the light. He is the light to reveal God to the whole world and the redemption of Israel. What a moment. He just surrenders to the faithfulness of God. And I want to ask you, in light of this right time, right place kind of issue, that that was Simeon's story, what does it look like for you to pursue what you're hoping to see of God and to arrive and to show up and to inhabit that moment and to breathe in that moment and articulate to God what that means to you? What does it look like to dream? Because this would have been like a pipe dream, what Simeon was hoping for to some. And in the conditions of Jerusalem and the, the neighboring parts of Israel. What aspect of God's kingdom are you stirred by? We are at a significant advantage looking back at the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We're a Pentecost people called into the kingdom and the work of God. So what grips you about the promise of God's kingdom now and forever? About his kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And what will be as God governs our days. What does it look like to dream, to hope, to pursue what we do not yet see at this stage of life? Simeon had been through quite a few stages of life. As had Anna, we're nearly at Anna. What has he placed in you? that calls you all the way to its fulfillment, where you can say, I have seen your salvation. Because that's an interesting phrase. It's declared as though that's a complete thing. I've seen it. I've seen it all. And that's kind of what Simeon's saying. But has he seen it all? He, he hasn't, really. He just knows that he is encountering the salvation of God. So he says, I've seen your salvation. It's an amazingly powerful phrase. In a sense, he'd seen it years before, before he ever, he ever got into the temple precincts on that day, because he was holding on to this thing that he had not yet seen, was certain of it, held to the promise of it. He's there in the moment saying, I've seen your salvation. I'm holding him. 
And he's also able to say something that points to the, 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 the great fulfillment, the perfection of all things, all things made new. He can say, I've tasted it now. I can, I can feel it. I can, it fills me to the fullest extent, even though we are nowhere near it in, some, in, in, in the proper sense. It's still waiting. I've seen your salvation. Wow. Thank you, Simeon, for teaching us to hope. Okay, Anna, we're halfway through. Are you ready? Actually, more than halfway because I did a big preamble. Okay, you with me? Some of you look really serious. I looked really serious at the nine o'clock, actually. I did a lot of frowning, apparently, but I feel wide awake now. So it's okay. So now we meet Anna. Same time, same place, Anna. Um, And this is really important, I think, in the flow of Luke's gospel. I feel maybe for us it's as though the Holy Spirit reaches across and just plucks out that little dart in our minds that says, not not me though, not me. This kind of hoping, this kind of chasing, this kind of encountering, no, not for me. Get real. You know, maybe in some bubble elsewhere, super holy, that kind of faith might exist. But look at the sort of conditions of my life. I'm not living in a monastery on a rock or serving in an orphanage two-thirds of the way around the world. I'm just here in my life. And this feels a long way from that, not me, my life is as it is. Maybe what we're really talking about as well is the stuff that's been painful, it's been difficult, or the aspects of our life that may not use the word but feel like they got derailed or they've got stuck or been stuck for years. It's just like my life doesn't feel like it looks like this Simeon and Anna glowing, holy, waiting, faithfully, showing up perfectly, encountering Jesus powerfully kind of moments. It's not me, is it? Because my life's more complicated. It's not this simple praying and fasting. In the temple for 60 years, doesn't sound like my life. But the point is that Anna's story may be very much like anyone else's story. That is the point, actually. She is like anyone else who's had, had an awful time, actually, been let down in life. So she is telling a story. She could just say something really simple. Like, well, I got married um, when I was a girl, young woman, and then he died seven years later. And then there was this life. Didn't remarry, couldn't remarry um, for whatever reason. And been a widow, been dependent. It's been kind of faith and hand-to-mouth, actually, not very secure, for 60 years. That is my life. It fell apart 60 years ago, and all I've got is God. That's Anna's story. And God calls, it's outside the passage, forgive me, but God calls Anna beautiful. 
He says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Somehow a life that has been ripped apart or seems to have just derailed and ground down is actually a life that God's redeemed and does the most beautiful things with. Anna does two very simple things as well. And perhaps they are the reflexes of someone who spent her days in the presence of the Lord. With a heart that's soft towards him and made courageous and made brave by his love and his promises. But she is like you and me. She's not special. And life wasn't straightforward. And those things, a heart that's soft to God and a heart that's brave, are only God's gifts. So are they available to you as well? Yes. Amen. Thank you over there. It's true. It's true. We can have this. And what we can learn from Anna, what she has to teach or to show us, is that she got to see what God is doing now. And that's really important. As well as this long arc of faith that's beyond now. Being able to see what God is doing now is a huge thing. And it sounds simple, but it really wasn't. It's such a strange scene. Simeon and Anna, this revelation, this encounter with the king. Because what did Jesus look like? How did Mary and Joseph look? What did the temple look like that that day? Was it especially shiny? No, I just think, you know what I mean? It's just, how ordinary could they look? Are we told whether they could afford the doves or did they use pigeons? You know what I mean? This is just a couple with their baby. Like the next family and the next family. There are probably a few families, right? Babies are always being born and therefore this was always going on as part of worship. So this ability to show up And see what God is doing as a beautiful gift that I think God offers to us. We can receive it like Anna. This was probably quite unlike the coming of the Lord they might have imagined. The the years before this, everything got quite apocalyptic. People were really into coming on the clouds kind of images. That's what we wanted when a Messiah shows up and flattens the empires that have crushed us. Yes, please. It was a real Avengers version of the Messianic prophecies, I think, that was probably the most popular version. So here's a baby and two very ordinary parents. But she saw and she knew. She'd seen what Simeon was going on. It, it, It was confirmed in her heart as well. And this is the fruit of what you and I are invited to as well, to be close to God in an uncomplicated, less complicated than we make it way, and close enough to God so that God can just turn his attention to something. And if you're close, if I'm sitting with one of the the boys and they're looking, I'll generally follow their gaze where they're looking. Eventually, I will notice. We're We're having a conversation and suddenly there's something over there. What's over there? We can be like that with God. What's he looking at? What's he doing? You can feel his distraction. 
And I think there's something for Anna of being able to see what God is doing. She's alive to the Holy Spirit. And God could say to her, yeah, it's true. And Jesus said years later, it's so easy for us to miss what God is doing because it doesn't fit what we think it should look like. So he said this, and it's harsh, but here we go. To what can I compare this generation's Matthew eleven sixteen? They're like children, not in a good way, sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you wouldn't mourn because John came, didn't eat or drink, and they said, he's got a demon. And the Son of Man comes eating and drinking and they say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and he hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors. It's all wrong. It's so easy for what God is doing not to fit what we think it should look like. So we've got to adjust, what, God's to our paradigms? Do you think that's going to work? It's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work. What a pity to miss what God is doing. And Anna shows us that keeping it simple might just enable us to show up and notice. Practice that. And I sometimes I say things like that are annoyingly, what do you actually mean? But I think it's that simple, showing up and asking, what are you doing? And trying to discern what that looks like. I think we can only learn it by doing it. So should we do it? Deal with each other? Yeah? Agreed? Great. Cool. Because I think that's, the, that's, that's what it is. That's Anna's invitation. And the second thing about Anna is that she sees what God is doing and she speaks it out. She describes it. In Simeon's case, it came out as praise and Thanks to Cranmer, we've been saying it ever since, well, for centuries. And, uh, but there's something in Anna as well. that she, she names what God is doing. She describes, she draws others into what God is doing. What a beautiful life. She perceives what he's doing now. And she announces the new thing that he's doing. Today is a new thing. So here is my question. I've seen your salvation, said Simeon. What does that mean for you? If you look back, what have you seen? What have you, what have you seen? Do you remember what it was that made you say yes to Jesus? What was it you heard? Was it that sermon that made sense that just talked so simply about the cross? About him dying because he didn't want you to die? separate from God wanted you to come to God what what was it that just made you alive to Jesus because I just think that's a really important thing to remember and then I'm assuming that when you started you'd said yes to that that someone started adding the implications not not in an overcomplicating sense, but just that what that means. What that means for you now is a, is a relationship with him for yourself. It means being able to give away the things that he's given to you and share them. And, these, and you start to build this life with Jesus out of seeing, receiving, and knowing this moment of salvation. And maybe it's, it's not been a moment. Maybe it wasn't like you'd just grown up in faith. But what were the times, what are those moments along the way where you have just encountered God? Because really, I guess the question would be, well, why are you here today? There's a reason you're here today, right? 
Not just in the mysterious sovereign workings of God. I'm here for a reason. I know you are. But you've chosen to come. So what have you seen? I've seen your salvation. Second question would be that invitation. What, what are you able to, are you, are you able to position your heart to walk into tomorrow ready to see something of God? Not in a generic way, like every day, you know, potentially I might stumble into something. But really to go into the day on purpose, like Simeon seems to, like Anna seemed to, this routine, this habit of saying, okay, I'm opening my eyes, I'm opening my heart. God, I want to see your salvation today. Show me today what it means. Does that sound exciting? Yeah, there's still the grind of their whole life and its ups and downs. I'm not trying to pretend this is just going to be a, a frothy day after day for you from now on. But that habit, it's a, it's a choice. And I guess the, the last thing is to, is to ask, what is it that you long to see? I've already framed that question. What is it you long to see and you're prepared to walk towards? It's a long game and keep walking in the same direction because of who he is and what he's promised. And it doesn't matter if it takes the rest of your days to breath, you know, final breath minus five. That is what I want to see. And to allow, give God permission to let that grow in us, you know? I think these are three ways in which I've seen your salvation can be a gift to us. Recover your hope, open your eyes, and look. Look for more, more than you could ask or imagine. Amen. Amen, and can I pray? Should we pray? Do you want to stand up? You've sat for ages, and at some point mid-prayer, I might become Bill Holiday. I don't know if we'll tag team at the front here. Is that all right, Bill? Cool. Well, I just pray, Father, that you would give us, give us grace, give us, um, give us your empowering presence, your Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come steal into our hearts again and, um, and grow in us a knowledge of what it is we've seen that ache for what we long to see and that awareness of what you're doing, a hunger for you, a love for you. And we don't want to, we want to choose it and we want to embrace what you give and steward what you give but we don't want to work hard and strive and, and feel like we failed again. We, just, we pray for a grace, a gift to enable this and the strength to choose it. In Jesus' name, amen.